when they were released, they went to their friends and they reported what the chief priests and elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices to God together and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father, David, your servant, by the Holy Spirit said, why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city, they were gathered together against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand and heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus and when they had prayed the place in which they had gathered was shaken and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. In Acts, let's get to God's word because we've got a lot to cover today and it, it's, it's a good message. Um, it's a good text. So listen, like I said, we've been in the book of Acts for the last few months and the book of Acts is historical. It's a, it's a book of the history of the early church, but it's not just history. It's also history for the purpose of a case study. So as we, as we look at this, as we study Acts, we're not just looking at how Christianity began and how the early church grew, but we're actually diving into a study of the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. And some people, they call Acts uh, the Acts of the Apostles, but there are some who like to call it Acts of the Holy Spirit. I like to call it both because it's the Acts of the Holy Spirit through the Acts of the Apostles, and you get to see God do some miraculous things. So as these, these men of God, men and women of God, surrender their lives to the Holy Spirit and submit to the Holy Spirit's leading and guidance, God does some incredible, incredible things. It's an extraordinary God working through ordinary people to accomplish an extraordinary mission. And the way he worked is the way he works now, and the way he worked through them is the way he wants to work through you, and the way he wants to work through me. And so I want to remind you today that as we look at this chapter, I don't want you thinking, well, that's how it used to be. It's so encouraging to read the book of Acts and discouraging because that's how it used to be. No, 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 that's not what I want you to think. <laughs> Instead, I want you thinking, uh, I want you leaving here and saying, okay, God doesn't change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So what does the future look like for us together on mission as God's people? What is God wanting to do right now in 2023 through New Heights Church? And how does the Holy Spirit want to use me in connection to New Heights Church uh, to accomplish his awesome purpose, okay? So as you're thinking, Pastor Enos is absolutely right. Our church is actually in the midst of gro a growth spurt. So I think downstairs has doubled in size just in the last four months. Did you hear me? We've doubled in size in the kids and the nursery, and it's awesome. But as the church grows, that means we need leaderships. And so I'm, I'm, I'm gonna throw it out there 
I am challenging you. If, you have, if you're not plugged into a ministry, and we've got the growth tra- track that's about to uh, jump up again in the fall, kickstart, not jump up, kickstart. There we go. Kickstart again in the fall. I'm, I'm challenging you. If you haven't been through it, go through it. Find, find out where you could plug in because you're needed. You're not, just a play, you're not just somebody to warm the seat on Sunday. You are needed here at New Heights Church. And God has brought you here for a reason. And the Holy Spirit is doing something amazing right now at this church, okay? That's why I love the book of Acts, because it shows us the church never started out as an institution or a building program, but it started out as a movement. Victor Hugo, who wrote Les Miserables, said that no army on earth was as powerful as an idea whose time had come. Christianity was a revolutionary message whose time had come, and it swept the world, and it did it without really uh, qualified people in positions of uh, influence. It did it without money. It did it without armies. It just started out with 12 fishermen, carpenters that were incredibly radically committed to the message of the gospel. And so today, as we unpack these verses, I want you, we we get this inside look at the people that God chose to use to accomplish his purpose. And I want you to remember this. Acts 1, the church starts with 120 people. By Acts 2, the church has grown to 3,000 people. By Acts 4, the church has grown from 5,000 men plus women and children. It's growing and it's growing fast. And what you have now is this incredible need for leadership. And just remember It all happens in the midst of a culture that, in my opinion, is very similar to our own country that we live in today. Although I'm going to tell you this right off the bat, I I believe America is in much better shape than the Roman Empire. But let me give you a little historical context, because here's what I hear a lot of times as a pastor. Man, the world is just going down the pooper. And I'll agree with you. America's changed quite a bit in the last, even just in the last 20 years from the time I've come home from the mission field or when I was sent and then came home, America was very different. But I see the church getting worried and, and starting to stress out. And I'm here today to tell you God doesn't change. He doesn't change. God still moves. And Liz and I have lived in countries and nations where they're absolutely radically opposed to the message of Christianity. And I've seen the church flourish there. God does not change. But listen to this, this culture that the church took off in, okay? Because you have to remember, the church started in the Roman Empire. And ancient Rome was the largest and most populous empire of its time and the largest pre-industrial state in European history. It's estimated that at its height, Rome was responsible for 25 to 30% of global economic output. The citizens of Rome lived blessed lives. Let's just say they were a very prosperous empire. And within that empire, you had multiple religions, multiple spiritualities, multiple gods, and multiple goddesses. Their values included tolerance and diversity. Does that sound familiar? Sexual sin was rampant. They embraced sex with anyone and everyone. It was the norm in their culture. Romans didn't think in terms of sexual orientation. Rather, sexuality was tied to ideas of masculinity, male domination, and the adoption of the Greek pursuit of beauty. So in the Roman mind, the strong took what they wanted to take. It was socially acceptable for a strong Roman male to have sex with men or women alike, provided he was the aggressor. A Roman male would have sex with his slaves, whether they were male or female, and he would visit prostitutes. This was was a part of the culture. He had heterosexual and homosexual encounters, even while married. 
And even rape was generally acceptable as long as he only raped people of a lower status. Romans didn't think of people as being oriented towards homosexuality or heterosexuality. Rather, they understood that a respectable man would express his dominance by having sex. This was the culture in which the church was birthed and and grew. It didn't matter if it was consensual or forced with men, women, and even children. So don't be discouraged today, Americans, with where we're at as a nation. Just remember that the church roots and the church grows in the midst of the culture that, in the midst of that culture, which was incredibly wicked and evil, and the church took off and grew, exploded. And remember this too, because I, I hear this all the time. Uh, Maybe we should uh, water down the message a little bit just because it's so opposed to the culture. Paul never did that. The early church never did that. In fact, this, this preaching, if you think it's offensive today, would have been really offensive to that culture. But it should give us hope because if the Holy Spirit could work through people in that day for this kind of great mission, then he can do the same through us in our day. Okay? And today we're going to see inside the heart of the church's first warriors What made them spiritual warriors? What made them spiritual giants? And again, my hope is that you will have your eyes open to the fact that this kind of heart can be yours. You see, the first Christian warriors didn't start out that way. We remember Peter. We we read about Peter. We remember him from the Gospels. Timid, scared, unfaithful, fled from Jesus at the first sign of danger, denies knowing Jesus, but he became a warrior through his experience with the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You and I can not only make a difference in God's kingdom, you and I are designed and programmed to make a difference for God's kingdom. If you and I today believe what Peter believed, then you and I can become what he became. And my prayer is that everyone who calls New Heights Church their home would become a type of believer that builds God's kingdom with their life in every circumstance and in every situation. Today we can say, I think it's fair to say that the gospel movement has swept the world. But my question is this, has it swept through your circle yet? The gospel, the gospel swept the world. Liz and I were missionaries for 10 years. We both grew up as missionary kids. And, you know, if you study the history of the Assemblies of God, over 100 years ago they started, and they started as a missionary movement because at that time the gospel had not swept across the world. And now 100-something years later, you look at Christianity, it has swept across the world. doesn't mean there's a lot of Christians in certain nations but the gospel has penetrated almost every part of the world. There's still unreached people groups. Mission is not done, but wow, have we come a long way. It has swept across the world. My question to you today, has it swept through your circle yet? Your circle of friends, your family, your generation of college students, your workplace. You see, that's what this text is all about today, seeing the gospel sweep through our circle of influence in our lifetime. I love to read history books, especially church history. I love to hear stories of my grandparents. I love to hear my dad's stories. I love to hear my great-grandparents' stories, but I want the gospel to sweep this generation. I want the gospel to take root today. I want the gospel to sweep Cincinnati. I wanna see revival. I wanna see more people come to Jesus. That's what I want, I desire that. And I can't be responsible for everybody, but I can be responsible for my generation. And I wanna be that kind of believer that makes a difference. So in this passage, we're going to see some amazing warriors for Jesus, and we're going to see firsthand what made them, what made them amazing. But they did. It wasn't spectacular by any means. I mean, especially in the sense of putting on a show. Much of what they did here in the text was very much behind the scenes. 
Can I stop for a minute and just say that again? Most of what we see in this chapter is behind the scenes. It's quiet. It's not a big show. Man, what has ministry, ministry has become a spectator sport today. Ministry has become, you put this, this celebrity pastor up on stage and it's all about him or it's all about their ministry. Christianity, if you, it, that's why I love this chapter, why I love these verses. So much of what happens in this text is quiet and behind the scenes. Here's what I wanna tell you. Your life has purpose. God wants to use you and God wants to do amazing things through you. And this is what I believe as we're entering this new season here at New Heights, I, I, this is my prayer that everybody grabs a hold of this, that everybody realizes that they've got a part to play in the kingdom of God, that their life was designed to make a difference. Because I'll tell you what, if every single person took evangelism serious, took their call serious, these seats would be full every week and we'd be doing three services. Man, once everybody gets that, they understand that my life, I, I, my, my purpose in living life isn't to necessarily make money, isn't to work my way up the corporate ladder. My purpose in life is to reflect the light of Jesus Christ and bring people into his kingdom. We're going to heaven and we're gonna bring as many people as we can with us, right? I love this passage. It shows us how they respond to threats, how they respond to danger, and we see the true nature of these spiritual giants. And the truth is that you and I can possess, we can have this same nature. Before we jump in, let's pray. Father God, we love you and worship you and praise you. We understand today that the only voice that we need to hear is yours. So God, as I, as I commit myself to this text, will you speak your word to the hearts of all those that are here today, all those that are listening online, and would you bring real life transformation? Holy Spirit, show up. Bring conviction where we need conviction. Bring peace where we need peace. And challenge us where we need to be challenged. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you look with me at verse 23? It says, when they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priest and the elders had said to them. Now pause just for a minute. Luke, Luke doesn't say they went to the other apostles. He says they went to their friends, literally their own. The words used like this, this one other time in, or this, yeah, one other time in Acts, uh, in Acts chapter 24, verse 23, where it says that Felix commanded that none of Paul's friends, or, or example, his own, should be prevented from attending to his needs. The same word again is used in John 1.11 when it says Jesus came to his own and his own received him not. It simply means family, friends, close associates, neighbors, etc. And some of you are saying, well, why make a big deal out of this, Pastor Justin? Well, there's a law of affinity which says likes attract one another. And that's true in the physical realm. It's also true in the social realm. My grandma used to have a saying. She would say, birds of a feather flock together. You guys remember that? Now that's true. It's socially true that you run with the crowd you feel familiar with. It's also true spiritually, okay? So here's something to ask yourself. What Christian friends do you go to in your time of need? Community is huge. Community is really important. We were designed for community. We're made for community. Because life is hard, and the truth of the matter is that as a believer, you're going to have difficult times. How many of you have already discovered life is not a sitcom? It's not a TV show where everything turns out the way you wanted it to. You guys remember Full House? It was my favorite show growing up. It didn't matter what dilemma or problem they faced, they would always find a solution. <laughs> right? The music would come on, the... 
this emotional, instrumental music. Danny, the dad, would always find a solution. They would hug each other and everything worked out. Yeah, I was about 14 when I figured out that's not how life works. Okay? You're going to go through stuff, but you need to remember you were built for community. So when you go through stuff, we're going to need real community, not just online relationships. Hey, I'm real... I am so thankful for our online community. I love that through the technology we have today, we can reach people with our message. I love it. Did you know we've got people in Florida, Oklahoma, Missouri, New York, uh, El Salvador, India, people who who tune in and watch our, our service throughout the week or sometimes even live. Isn't that amazing? I love it. I, I do. I love it. But but at some point, you're you're going to need more than an online relationship when you're going through stuff. I mean, Peter and John, they just got out of prison and they run to their friends. Now, here's a solid truth from this passage. It's a real good thing that they had their friends before the tragedy struck. Right? Because their tragedy, their tragedy was that they just got out of jail. They were just threatened. And I, th- I think here's the point to this. You, you've got to have Christian friends before your tragedy comes, before your trial comes, before your trouble comes. You need Christian friends. You need a community. And I'll tell you what, the way that we do church today, we're trying everything we can to change this, but the way that we do church today messes us up sometimes because it's this big show on Sunday where we gather in this big room. And to be honest, you can, you could sit somewhere in the sanctuary and not even meet one person on a Sunday morning. You could walk in and walk out without talking to anybody uh, on a Sunday morning. But that's not the way it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be we're a community doing life together. And that's why we do small groups. If you haven't joined a small group, join a small group. Join a small group. There's something amazing about fellowshipping with your community, your spiritual community. You need it. Whether you realize it or not, you need it. You need it. And trust me, when that time comes, you're going to have to come to somebody. And, and, And the other thing, too, is it's not just the pastor I cannot take care of, I wish I could, but I can't be there for all of you. I can't do it. We're supposed to be there for each other, right? And there's something different. I mean, maybe I can be there. Maybe when you have a tragedy and I'm able to attend it, come and meet with you, but you don't have a personal relationship with me, it's different when you've got a personal relationship and you're doing life with somebody. You need that. Join a small group. If you haven't, join a small group. Can I say it again? If you haven't joined a small group, join a small group. Yeah. <laughs> hey, another, another important fact for us to get from this verse. This prayer is relevant for you and me today because it's prayed not by someone with special rights and privileges, but by regular old Christians. It's the church that gather, not just the apostles that pray for God to give boldness and to heal and to do signs and wonders. It's the church Praying and God, or praying and seeing God do miracles, seeing breakthroughs. Listen to me, it's not just the prerogatives of the apostles. You guys remember Stephen? Well, we'll get to Stephen. You don't remember him because we haven't got to Acts chapter 6 yet. But we're going to read about a guy named Stephen. We're going to read about a guy named Philip in Acts chapter 8. Both, are, both of these guys are fellows that God chose to use to do signs and wonders, and they were not apostles. It's important because. Who prayed this prayer? People like you and me. People like you and me. That's who, that's who prayed this prayer. That's who's doing these miracles, who's praying for God to do these miracles. Not they're doing it, but God. But they're the ones who are praying for God to do miracles. Do you pray? 
Come and pray with us Wednesdays. Come, Man, I, I'm almost tempted to say, man, one month, one Sunday out of, out of every month is just gonna be a prayer service because it's the one time we can get everybody together. We got busy schedules, I get it. But man, we need to pray. Prayer is important. Shouldn't be last on the list of priorities. It should be number one. We need to pray. Verse 24, and when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, sovereign Lord, underline that, Sovereign Lord who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. Think about this. In the face of danger, what's their knee-jerk reaction? What's their knee-jerk reaction? How many of you guys drop to your knees every time you guys uh, face something, face a tragedy, face something? Your first reaction is to go to God in prayer. I wish I was that spiritual, but I'm not. Usually it was, I called my dad. I would call him all my life whenever I had an issue. When he passed away, it turned, I would call my mom. And then it got to a point where I called my, my friend who's a pastor and he's a mentor to me. And I remember it was not at this church because we, uh, we never have drama at this church. But at one, one, one point in my life, I was facing a ministerial uh, emergency situation and I called this pastor, this mentor of mine, and I'll never forget, he offended me so much because I'm sitting there and I'm telling him everything I'm going through and he said, Justin, have you prayed? No, I haven't prayed. I'm calling you for crying out loud. I'm telling you, I'll pray when I'm done. He hung up the phone on me and texted me, pray first. <laughs> I was so mad at him, but, but that's why he's my mentor. He's really good. Sometimes our knee-jerk reaction is, is, is not to get on our knees and pray. I remember as a pastor in, well, I won't say where I am because we, we, we go live. One, one experience again in my ministerial experience, we had this emergency. And I remember we had to call all the pastors together and we were going over all the different uh, things that we can do to respond to this. And I remember when the lead pastor said, so what do you guys feel is best? There was a pastor that had the guts to say, well, I think we need to pray. Because it wasn't, it wasn't our knee-jerk reaction. It wasn't what we did. We were trying to figure out the problem on our own. We were looking at all the different things that we could do to fix this problem. And not once did we even think about praying. And we were the spiritual leaders of the church for crying out loud. It's just, human we, we do that. Sometimes we don't go to prayer. It's not our knee-jerk reaction. But, but and even, even like if we're preaching a message and it didn't go very well, maybe our knee-jerk reaction would have been, well, maybe we should change the message. They didn't do that. I mean, they preached, they preached you killed Jesus and, and you need to repent because he's the only way to heaven. <laughs> that wasn't really bringing it. That literally got them in trouble with the authorities and you didn't see them say, maybe we should rethink this. Maybe that message isn't working. Maybe we should start out with one that's a little more appealing. Maybe we should go to like Malachi chapter 310, talk about how God's gonna bring in the blessing, huh? They didn't do that. Maybe a lot of people would have thought that, but our text says that they prayed. That's what they did. They prayed. J.D. Greer says that when you're walking with the Spirit, prayer is your natural reflex because you realize how dependent you are on the Spirit for everything. Man, that's good. He also goes on to say that praying's like breathing. Our need for prayer should be the same as our need for air. Prayerlessness is not a self-discipline problem. Prayerlessness is a sign that you are not walking in the power of the Spirit. I know that's harsh. I've said it before, but I love the book, A Praying Life by Paul Miller. If you haven't read it, go get it. It's, it's a, a book that'll change your life. But in a nutshell, here's what he says. Don't try to fix an internal problem with an external strategy. 
because it'll never last. Every day when you get up, you need to remind yourself that apart from God, you can do nothing. During the day, you can do nothing in your marriage, in your job, in your relationships, nothing, nada, absolutely squat. You can't do anything. You can't do anything apart from God. So now if we really understood this, then prayer would become pretty natural to us, right? So if we have trouble, if we have trouble when it comes to our prayer life, if we have trouble getting up every day and praying or uh, going to God in our daily, our daily habits, if that's something we struggle with, I challenge you to think about whether or not you really see how dependent you are on the Spirit of God. You know, I, I love, I didn't ask him if I could share, but we're close enough, I can do that. I love Tim Bubnick. Tim, I love you, man. I'm gonna use you as an example. You, if you get mad, we'll, we can talk about it later. I love Tim's prayer life. Tim will pray in every circumstance and every situation. And he's challenged me a lot. If he's going to give a presentation for his work, he's made, he has made sure he's prayed before he's gone. If he's making any kind of big decision in life, even if it's not really a spiritual decision, he prays. He's challenged me because many times when I approach the board and we're, we're dealing with difficult stuff, he'll bring me back to that place. Well, let's pray, let's pray, let's pray. I love it, I love it, pray. If, if, we, we get, if we truly understand how dependent we are on God, then we're gonna pray before everything we do. Prayer is gonna be this natural reflex of ours, right? And the answer is not just to resolve to do better, but to go back to the gospel where you realize, again, how desperate you are for the power of the Holy Spirit and how willing God is to help you. Then, and only then, prayer becomes very natural. Now, the world around us certainly doesn't seem to be governed or guided by prayer. If we're going to be honest today, it feels more like it's full of pain, full of sorrow, doubt, and loss, right? Sometimes the chaos of this world, it leaves us feeling very defeated. And even if you're, you're here today and you're not going through anything and your life is great and you feel like you're just, it's all peaches and roses, just get on Facebook or any kind of social media and you'll be depressed in about an hour. But listen to me, listen to me. As our world spins further and further away from God's original perfect plan, and those that oppose the gospel seem to be growing and growing and growing, our temptation is to fall to despair. Our temptation is, is to lose all hope. You know, we're gonna start asking ourselves, is God hearing our prayers? Is God in control? Is he even good? Where's the Holy Spirit in all of this? Have you asked yourself that question before? I have, I'm gonna be honest with you. And when, if, if ever, is God gonna decide to show up, right? But look at what they said. I want you to see this. This is important. It says that they lifted their voice and said, Sovereign Lord. Now, the word Lord is the Greek word despota, or, and it means the autocrat of the universe, the ruler of everything. It's kind of like the prayer of Jeremiah in Jeremiah 32, 17, it says, Ah, Lord God, it is you who have made the heavens and the earth. By your great power and by your outstretched arm, nothing is too hard for you. What I want you to see is this, that when you pray, the first thing you and I gotta do is recognize who we're talking to. We're not speaking to somebody who's weak. We're not speaking to somebody who's frail. We're not talking into the air. We're not talking to somebody even with earthly authority. We're talking to the sovereign God 
of whom nothing, I said nothing is too hard. Nothing is too hard for the God that we pray to. Nothing. Nothing. R.A. Torrey said, pray for great things, expect great things, work for great things, but first and foremost, pray. Pray. That ought to be the motto for our church. See, too often we're weak in our prayer life and we only go to God when an emergency has popped up. And that's only after somebody's reminded us to go to God, right? It's like, it's like it reminds me of a, sometimes I feel like we view God the same way we view an emergency room. We drive by an, an emergency room every day. We know that there's doctors inside that emergency room, but we don't feel compelled necessarily to go in and talk to the doctor Every time we drive by the hospital, when do we go into the emergency room? When we have an emergency, right? Don't treat God like an emergency room. Don't treat God like an emergency room. Go to him all the time. Just like I said, Tim goes to God with every decision all the time because he knows how dependent he is on God. He knows very well that God is leading him and directing him, and apart from God, he can do nothing. It'll change the way that you live your life. Verse 25, it says, Who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. Do you see this? here. The first thing out of their mouths is in, in this prayer, these, these Old Testament scriptures. And what are they doing? They're claiming the promises of God in them. Do you see that? Do you, do you know what this, this tells us? They knew their Bible. They knew their Bible. Prayer and the Bible go together. Prayer and the Bible go together. Makes me think about the statement that John or Jesus made in John 15, 7. He says, If you abide in me and my word abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. What's Jesus saying here? This is what he's saying. Get my word in you, and then when you pray according to my word, not according to your wants or your desires, according to his word, then what you ask God will give you. We need to learn to pray according to scriptures. The Bible and prayer go together. Eugene Peterson says this, true prayer is not just talking, talking God, it's, it is answering God. God has already spoken in his word. Prayer is just a response to what he has said. Do you pray scripture? Do you do that? If you wanna pray better, then read your Bible better. If you wanna know better how to talk to God, read the Bible. The Bible, listen, is a book of promises. In fact, 3,000 of them, and I wanna know all of them, so I can claim them in prayer. You want to have a better prayer life, you need to know the Bible better. Because as they read these verses of Scripture, they tied it together and they could see God at work. Remember, all of this, all of this is, is prelude to asking for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And here's what makes this so relevant for you and for me today when it comes to praying. So many people will say that doctrine and theology, they're not important if you have the power of the Holy Spirit. But these early Christians, they knew better. Do you hear me? So many people say, uh, doctrine, theology, that's not so important as long as we have the power of the Holy Spirit. 
Well, it's funny because according to the apostles, for them, the doctrine of the inspired scripture, that's what we're seeing in verse 25, the doctrine of God's sovereignty, even over the voluntary acts of sinful people, this knowledge of the Old Testament prophecy, these, these things, they were essential. Spirit of God is the spirit of truth, okay? He's not indifferent to bad doctrine in the mind when, when he comes to fill the heart. If we want his fullness, we're gonna do everything that we can to fill our minds with the truth he has revealed about God through his Bible. I cannot tell you how important this is. This is not meant to collect dust on your bookshelf or your nightstand. Get into God's word. Know his word. Know his promises because it will change your prayer life. Okay? J.D. Greer says, know the scriptures so well that when life cuts you, you bleed God's word. Come on. <laughs> know the scriptures so well that when life cuts you, you bleed God's word. Because then you're going to pray a lot more like these early Christians did. Now, we're about to get to their request in their prayer, but keep in mind, they, they didn't just jump to this request. They spent a little time in their prayer just assuring their hearts as they spoke of God, his greatness, his power, his wisdom, his sovereignty. It's not like just coming and sitting on Santa Claus' lap and asking what, what you want for Christmas, okay? Look with me at verse 29. It says, and now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. Now, I absolutely love this prayer. <laughs> In fact, this, this is my prayer for New Heights Church. This is what I want all of us praying on a regular basis. You know why? Because the request is consumed. It's consumed with God's cause and God's glory. And that's why I love it. Not the comfort, not the advancement of the disciples, but it's consumed with God's cause and God's glory. That's what I want New Heights Church to be. I want to be consumed with a desire to see God be glorified in Cincinnati and all around the world. Come on. They ask for things that will actually lead to more confrontation, not less. What got them into trouble to begin with, their boldness, that's what they're asking for more of. Hey, God, we were just really bold and it got us into a real big pickle. Give us more boldness. <laughs> Going to the streets of Jerusalem, being very bold about what they believe in, it got them arrested. And now they're asking God to fill them with more of what got them in trouble. Lord, we got in trouble for it. Give us more. <laughs> it's very specific. They were just told not to speak anymore. We're gonna really get you. We're gonna hurt you if you speak again in the name of Jesus. And here they're praying for power to do exactly what they were warned not to do. Don't let us shut up just because of the threats, God. Don't let us be, don't let us be cowards, in the face of these threats, but give us boldness to speak your word. Don't let us keep quiet because we've been threatened on this, but give us all boldness so that we might speak your word. Now, I grew up with a grandma who loved, loved all the old hymns. How many of you guys like the old hymns? Some of you probably are offended I called them old hymns. So I'll just say the hymns, okay? Didn't think about that one before it came out. But... <laughs> My grandma, she loved the hymns, and she knew all of them by heart. She didn't need the hymnal. She knew every single one, every single word, and when she would watch us, if our parents ever went out of town, she would sing me those old hymns before I'd go to bed. Any of you remember this oldie but goodie? Take your burden to the Lord and leave it there. Isn't that a good one? Grandma would sing that to me when I'd go to bed. Some of you have problems you're wrestling with this morning. 
take those problems to the Lord and leave them there. Some of you have difficulties on your job. Take them to the Lord in prayer. Some of you are battling your own inner demons. You're struggling. Learn to take those things to God in prayer. May not solve the problem, but God will give you the peace to be able to live with the problem. Now, I don't know what God wants to do in your life. I don't know where God is leading you in your life. I don't know God's plan for your life. But if you will come to the Lord and say, Lord, here's my problem, and you lay your need, your problem, your burden out before the Lord, the Lord can help you with your problems. Learn to take your problems to the Lord in prayer. I think about King Hezekiah in the Old Testament. The Assyrians, they they had come to the gates of the city of Jerusalem and they they found themselves under siege. And the king of Assyria sent this really ugly letter to the king Hezekiah. And I love what Hezekiah did because he took that letter, he went into the temple and, and and he spread that letter out before the Lord in the temple. I wanna encourage you to spread your situation out before the Lord. Spend some time in prayer asking God to help you with those problems. Look upon their threats was, was what they prayed, and give us boldness. It's the only specific request that they asked for, for themselves personally. They had been threatened not to do that. The word boldness literally means fearless confidence. Take your problem, lay it out before the Lord, and ask God for boldness to face whatever it is you're facing. God will equip you to do it. He's, he's about to answer their prayer. You guys are going through some heavy stuff. I know there's people in this church going through some heavy stuff. Lay it before the Lord. Don't walk out of these doors when we close the service. Come up and lay it before the Lord. Lay your problem down before the Lord. And ask for boldness. And ask for the ability to be equipped. And to be able to, to, be able to face whatever it is you're facing. The way that God wants you to face it. Okay, can you do that? Because God wants to take all the hard things in our life and he wants to use them for his glory. He's about to do this. That's what he's about to do here. He wants to do it in your life too. You need confidence, you need courage. Come to the place of prayer and lay it before the Lord. Ask God what you need. Ask God to give you the power and ask God to give you the courage and the boldness to speak for the Lord. Okay, verse 30, while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. They ask three things here, that God would give them boldness, that he would stretch out his hand uh, to heal people, and that he would cause signs and wonders to happen. And all this, all this through the name of Jesus. In other words, their desire is to be empowered in such a way that the name of Jesus will be vindicated. Not theirs, Jesus. They didn't ask to do miracles themselves. They understood that Jesus heals by his hand and that he does it from heaven through his people. Listen, it can be a trap sometimes the desire to be used to do miraculous things because sometimes it's rooted in the pride that wants everyone to just see how amazing I am, how great I am, and how much God can use me. We should be thrilled in the power of God, not because he's used us to display it. We should be thrilled in the power of God and the power of God alone, okay? You know why this is relevant for you and me today, though? Because it shows us how we should be seeking the power of God's spirit. We should be praying for it like they were. And remember, Jesus says not to lose heart, but to keep seeking and keep and knocking and asking the Father for the Holy Spirit. And that means praying not only in general ways for the outpouring of God's spirit, but in specific ways for the gift of bold proclamation, for his hand to be stretched out to heal and his son's name to be honored and vindicated through signs and wonders. 
Now, I get it. Preaching is primary because the gospel is the power of God unto salvation, but signs and wonders are helpful witnesses to the world, to the word of grace. It is. We see it all throughout Acts. Hebrews says it. It's, very, it's a very relevant prayer for you and me. God, show up and do miraculous things, not because we just want new heights to grow, not because I want to get a reputation and I want to get a bunch of likes on Facebook, but show up in this place so people can see the power of God. Show up so they can see your awesome power. That's why we want people to see it. That's why we want the Holy Spirit to show up. Not because we're, we're trying to build our own name or trying to build our own brand, because we're trying to, to grow the church of Jesus Christ and Jesus is everything, just like Pastor Enos preached last week, right? That's what we want. And if that's what we want, then this is how we should pray. Verse 31, and when they had prayed, <laughs> the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Was shaken. What significance is, is the place shaking? Well, whenever God comes down to earth, the earth seems to crumble under his weight. It's terrifying, earthquakes, lightning. But this time when God comes down, it's not terrifying, it's empowering. Why? Because Matthew 27, when Jesus died, there was an earthquake. At the resurrection, there was another. He took the earthquake of judgment so we could get the earthquake of power. <laughs> Come on. We shake now not with fear but with boldness and worship because the God who has saved us and now lives inside of us, and if God is for us, who can be against us? Stuff is life-changing here, right? <laughs> the word there really means there was an earthquake, by the way. In Acts 16, the same thing happened when Paul and Silas were in the Philippian jail. The Bible says they prayed and God shook the jail. It's a physical miracle. The God of this universe can shake things. Someone said that God is just lovingly rocking the cradle of the baby church. Now, I don't really care that God shake this building physically. In fact, if he does, it might wreck some of the stuff we've tried to do the last, <laughs> this last two years. It's far more important to me that God shakes things spiritually, right? And I'm, I'm praying, wouldn't you, wouldn't you like to see God just shake things up spiritually? Wouldn't you like to see that? I'm praying that God's gonna shake up our fellowship. I wanna see God shake up the assemblies of God again. I want, a God, I want to see God shake up New Heights Church again. I wanna see God move. He can still move mightily in our midst, right? And there's power in prayer. Listen to me. Prayer brings the power of God down upon a situation. They were shaken. God shakes things. And notice what happens when God shakes a church, when God shakes lives, when, when people pray. God's power begins to do something in his people, in his people. This is the important truth of this scripture. So many times we come up to this altar with a prayer request and we want to see something changed. When the truth is God's wanting to do something inside of you. He's wanting to change you. My grandpa who lived in a concentration cramp during World War II and was a prisoner who saw horrible, horrible things every day prayed, God, deliver me. Deliver me from this camp. I can't face another day. Deliver me. But you know what? God wanted to do something in his life and in his heart. And it changed the way he prayed for the rest of his life. And my grandpa was one of the most spiritual men I've ever had the chance to meet and to know. He knew how to pray. And he challenged me all the time. Justin, what is God wanting to do inside of you when you come to God? When you come to his throne, he's wanting to take the circumstances that you face in life, the situations you face, and he's wanting to do something right here in you. Man, God can shake things, but the first thing he's gonna do is shake you. And when he shakes you, then all of a sudden you're gonna be able to go and see the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. And don't you want that? 
Don't you want the power of the Holy Spirit? I mean, look what verse 31 says. They were all filled, filled with the Holy Spirit. This is the third time that we're told in the book of Acts that they were filled with the Holy Spirit. In verse 4, chapter 2, the Bible says that they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. In 4.8, as Peter stood to give his testimony before the Sanhedrin, he was filled with the Holy Spirit. And now for the third time here in verse 31, they are all filled with the Holy Spirit. Here's the deal. The filling of the Holy Spirit is not a once-for-all matter. It's not a once-for-all experience. It's not... It's not a second blessing experience. I believe in the second blessing. I also believe in the third blessing. I believe in the fourth blessing, the fifth, the sixth, and the seventh blessing. Because what we need is to daily be filled with the Holy Spirit. To be filled with the Spirit means that you're, you're yielded to the control of the Holy Spirit in your life. And I get asked all the time, it's a trick question in the Assemblies of God. Pastor Justin, what's the evidence that you're filled with the Holy Spirit? <laughs> Acts 1.8 is the evidence you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You want to know what the evidence is? Soul winning. Soul winning is the evidence of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Witnessing power is the evidence of the filling of the Holy Spirit. We have daily need for the filling of the Spirit to daily be witnesses for Jesus Christ. It's not something that just happens one time and you got it, you're good. We're always looking for some instant, right? Instant diets, lose, lose 10, 20 pounds, drinking this drink three days in a row. We're looking for that magic pill. We're looking for the silver bullet. All you have to do, one pill and it just comes off. But no, you have to put some effort in this, right? A lot of people just want one experience, gonna zap them and it's all over. Life's not lived in one instant, do you hear me? Life is lived in days. Every day we need to experience God's filling of our life, taking control of our heart and our life. That's what we need. And it says this, they continued to speak the word of God with boldness. You see, the power of the Spirit through prayer does something in us, but it also does something through us. They got exactly what they asked for and God did a work through them. He began to speak through them. You see, the evidence that our church is filled with the Spirit is that there's gonna be a whole lot of witnessing going that's the evidence. There's going to be a whole lot of soul winning going on. There's going to be a whole lot of leading people to Jesus at Panera, at Starbucks, at McDonald's, or in my case, the donut shop. I'm working on that Dunkin' Donuts person. Okay, I eat donuts for Jesus. Don't question me or judge me. You can tell whether or not a church is filled with the Holy Spirit. You can tell by what they're doing. Are they are they, is there a lot of witnessing going on? Are a lot of people coming to Jesus? When's the last time somebody in your life that you reached out to prayed the sinner's prayer? Are we filled with the Spirit? Are we on top of what God wants us to be? They spoke the Word of God with boldness. They were witnessing. Here's, what, here's the truth. We need an earthquake in our city. Not a real one, a spiritual. I mean... We need a spiritual quake in our city. We need God to shake up our city. We need God to shake up our church. We need God to, to show up and do something amazing. We need God to shake up our own life so that we can be bold witnesses for Jesus in this city. There's a city out here that needs Jesus and we cannot keep silent. We cannot refuse to speak. God does something in us through his power so that God can do something 
through us, okay? And I'll end with this. Boldness for beginners. This is from J.D. Greer. It's really easy. There's four things here. Say something when saying nothing would be easier. That's how you can start, all right? Say something when saying nothing would be easier. Offer to pray for somebody. Just say something. Give the Holy Spirit an opportunity to use you. Number two, take advantage of opportunities when they present themselves, all right? When you've got an opportunity, say something, do it. Number three, uh, and that could be through offering prayer, share your testimony, whatever. Three, create opportunities. Go get to know your neighbors. Invite a coworker out for lunch. And number four, get involved in mission. Get involved in mission. Join one of our, actually there's five. (laughs) Get involved in mission. Join one of our ministry teams. Do not just be a, a spectator at this church. Join a ministry team. We need you. We need you, join the ministry team, do something. It's gonna push you and stretch you, do it. You just saw, we have a huge need for kids workers. I still remember my kids workers because they played an important role in my life. I still talk to one of the the ladies in the church that was a a kids volunteer and she poured into me, invested in me. And I still have a relationship with her to this day. And number five, ask God for it. That might be your first bold action towards boldness, asking God for boldness. And that's what we wanna do right now. We're gonna close this service. I'm gonna have all of our prayer workers come up here if you need somebody to pray for. They're gonna line up to my right, your left. My left, your right, we're just gonna open up for anyone who wants to come pray. This is, this is it, prayer. I know, I know I got done later than I was supposed to. Sorry. Sorry, not sorry. It's the, the uh, M&M's commercial or whatever. Jesus to show up. I want the Holy Spirit to show up. If you've got to go, you are officially dismissed. But if you've got time to stay, come and press in. Come and press in and ask. Ask God for boldness. Ask for God for more of the Holy Spirit. Lay out whatever problem you've got and give the Holy Spirit a chance to move and work in your life. Father, we love you and praise you. We worship you. You are the sovereign God who holds all things in your hands. Nothing is out of your control and nothing is too hard for you. Not cancer, not divorce, not broken relationships. Nothing is too hard for you. So God, as we lay our problems before you, we pray that we would see the power of the God that we worship and serve begin to shake us inside and change us so that we can be changed and be used to see your glory. Jesus name.